My name is Joe Hawkins, and this is the History of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints 50 Objects podcast. Welcome back to another episode of History of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and 50 Objects. Before we dive into the show today, I wanted to thank listener Veronica. She took the time to reach out to me to point out that in the last episode, I didn't clarify that the Mormons didn't sustain Brigham Young as a prophet in 1844. This is correct. When the rank and file chose to follow Brigham Young in 1844 over Sidney Rigdon, they were choosing the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles with Brigham Young as president. Brigham won't be sustained as the next prophet until the membership arrives in Utah in 1847, which we'll cover in a later episode. So thank you, Veronica, for reaching out. Glad that we got that clarified. Now, to the show. Today we'll be focusing on the years 1845 and 1846. These would be defining years for the Mormon Church and America in general. Here's why. In the year 1839, John O'Sullivan was credited with coining the phrase manifest destiny. That phrase, however, won't catch steam until 1845, the year of this episode. In that year, John O'Sullivan felt passionate that the U.S. should annex Texas. He'd write an article on it, and in it he'd write that it was America's, quote, manifest destiny to possess the whole of the continent, end quote. These words would ring through political halls across the United States, all the way to the White House, where newly elected U.S. President James Polk would invoke the concept of manifest destiny while addressing Congress. It was Polk's view that the settlement of the continent be, quote, aggressively pursued, end quote. So following his prompt, in 1845, Florida would be admitted to the Union. Texas would vote annexation to the United States on July 4th of 1845, and the U.S. would admit Texas in December of 1845, causing war to break out with Mexico. In 1846, the United States would lay claim to Oregon, which was still in possession of the United Kingdom. We would admit Iowa as a state, and then begin the process of admitting Wisconsin. And finally, in July of 1846, the United States would annex California. California won't officially be admitted until 1850, but it was ready for settlement. Manifest destiny was in full swing in all corners of the United States. Now, the U.S. had the states and land in the works. Where would they get the people to settle them? Today's object is the Glorious Emergency. So, what is the Glorious Emergency, and how did it come about? After the Mormons decided to follow the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles in 1844, the Quorum, with Brigham Young at the head, set to work to get things in the church going again. And boy, did they get it going. In terms of membership growth, this would be the second largest year of growth in the short history of the church to this point. The church first got their financials in order by paying off their debts. A new quorum of 12 apostles was then formed to fill in the missing spots. A new patriarch was chosen to take Hiram's place, and Wilford Woodruff was sent back to England to oversee the work in that part of the world. Then Parley P. Pratt was sent to New York to oversee the work there, and to assist all foreign converts as their immigration agent in the eastern states. Lyman White was off to Texas to begin the work in that territory, and John Taylor was reassigned to edit 
the Times and Seasons newspapers. Church affairs were then organized in Canada, and now all the wards and branches in the United States and Canada were finally under one umbrella. But as the church was resettling without Joseph Smith, in January of 1845, the Mormons' worst fears were realized. When the critics saw that the church didn't break up with the death of the prophet, they then pressed on the Illinois government officials. The Mormons were still using the charter to avoid extraditment. There were rumors of polygamy, and the city seemed to be run as a theocracy like we discussed in a previous episode. Illinois governmental officials agreed, and in January of 1845, the Nauvoo Charter was revoked. This was a foundation-shattering moment. The Mormons were no longer allowed their own courts. They were no longer allowed their own police or the Nauvoo Legion. Nauvoo was no longer a legal entity. So, as it was no longer a legal city, Brigham Young renamed Nauvoo. Going forward as of January 1845, Nauvoo would be known as the City of Joseph in memory of everything the Mormon prophet had done for the city. Now, as there was no legal way for the Mormons to defend their streets without attracting more unwanted attention, how were the Mormons to keep an eye on enemies prowling the city? It was at this time that Brigham Young issued the Whistlers and Whittlers Brigade. If you haven't heard of it, it's brilliant. This is basically a group of teenage Mormons that would stand at the entrance to Nauvoo, or the city of Joseph, and when someone they didn't know entered the city that looked suspicious, the brigade of boys would follow them everywhere around the city, whistling and whittling wood. This would generally unnerve most outsiders and scare them out of the city. But the mobs. As we've discussed, the Illinois mobs couldn't abide the city of Nauvoo. Mormons sticking around and then renaming it to the city of Joseph must have really unhinged them. Now we touched on this in episode 33, but in May of 1845, Nine men were finally indicted on charges of homicide for the murder of Joseph and Hiram Smith. However, only five would be brought up on charges. These weren't just random men. These were prominent Hancock County officials. There was a land promoter, a state senator. There were captains of the militia and a newspaper editor. The trial lasted two weeks with the defense claiming the men were only acting according to the will of the people. Yep, you heard that right. They killed Joseph and Hiram Smith and this was defensible in their eyes because it was the will of the people. Well, we laugh, but the jury agreed, and they were acquitted. Weeks later, when Hiram's trial was to begin with the same accused men, the prosecution didn't even bother to show up. So the trial for Hiram Smith was never held. As there was apparently no punishment for this type of thing, mobs began anew to terrorize the outskirt farms and communities in Hancock County, burning Mormon homes, farms, and mills. Brigham Young would have all the Mormons relocate closer to Nauvoo. Now, if you've listened to all the episodes of this podcast so far, especially the portions around Missouri, you're recognizing this theme of forced removal. The Mormons are harassed until they hit back. That hit back would take place on September of 1845. Hancock County in 1845 had a non-member sheriff named Jacob Backenstos. Backenstos felt sympathetic to the Mormons, and he even worked to defend them. This caused him to fall into the crosshairs of the mobs. So on September 16th of 1845, Backenstos learned that his life was in danger, and he immediately went on the run. He was chased down by the mob, which was being led by a man named Frank Worrell, the same man that was tasked with guarding Joseph and Hiram Smith at Carthage Jail 
but who famously let the mob do their deadly work. As Backenstos was about to be overcome by this anti-Mormon mob, he quickly deputized a couple of Mormons. Backenstos here seemed to really luck out, as he happened to come upon the Mormon Porter Rockwell. Rockwell, the same man accused of attempting to kill Governor Boggs in Missouri, backed up the sheriff as he confronted the anti-Mormon mob. When Worrell went for his gun, Rockwell was faster and shot and killed him. Rockwell then scared away the rest of the mob. Porter Rockwell would stand trial for this killing, but he'd be acquitted when Backenstos testified that he was indeed a Hancock County deputy and that Rockwell had saved his life. But to the non-Mormons of Illinois, this was it. The militias began to form, and Governor Ford recognized that he again had a potential civil war on his hands. So what did the governor do? Governor Ford dispatched over 400 state militia troops under the direction of Congressman Stephen A. Douglas. Yes, the same Stephen A. Douglas that will be made famous for his slavery debates while running for president against Abraham Lincoln. The state militia will restore order and conduct a private investigation of the events. In the end, they'll determine two things. First, the anti-Mormon mobs had initiated the conflicts in Illinois with their raids. The Mormons were the victims. And second, and most importantly, there could be no peace in Hancock County, Illinois, until the Mormons left. Governor Ford tasked Congressman Douglas with finding a way to get the Mormons to leave the state. Now, let's pause the story here just a bit. To this point, the church leadership had already been considering relocating to a new location where they could gather and worship in peace. But where? According to the history of the church, Joseph Smith would prophesy as far back as 1842 that the church would continue to suffer much affliction and, quote, some of you will live to go on and assist in making settlements and build cities and see the saints become a mighty people in the midst of the Rocky Mountains, end quote. In the spring of 1844, Plans for colonizing the West were initiated, as Joseph Smith would send exploring parties to investigate the locations of California and Oregon and to hunt out a good location for the church. But by the time he was killed in 1844, those investigating parties hadn't returned, and Brigham had to make a decision. Brigham Young would record in his journal the following quote, In the year 1845, I addressed letters to all the governors of states and territories in the Union, asking them for asylum within their borders for the Mormons. Brigham continues, We were refused such privilege, either by silent contempt or a flat denial in every instance. They all agreed that we could not come within their limits of their territory or state. End quote. It looked like staying in the United States was not an option for the Mormons. So when Congressman Stephen A. Douglas, a proponent of Manifest Destiny, pressed the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles about leaving, they agreed. Brigham would record the following quote. Stephen A. Douglas had been acquainted with us. He said, I know you. I know Joseph Smith. He was a good man. And this people are a good people, but the prejudices of the ungodly are such that, said he, gentlemen, you cannot stay and live in peace. End quote. He recommended that the Mormons go west. Brigham Young would commit that the Mormons would leave Nauvoo the following spring as soon as there was enough grass on the prairies to sustain their cattle and horses. Trustees of the church would stay in Nauvoo to sell any remaining property. So in October of 1845, Brigham Young and the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles would host a conference for the members of the church. Brigham Young would tell the membership that their exodus from Illinois 
was a glorious emergency, our object. He would tell the Mormons that they would be going cheerfully. According to Brigham, they would leave in the spring of 1846 to a far distant region in the West. This was to be the dawning of a new era in the history of the church. It was a glorious emergency. This pronouncement, our object, put a number of things into motion. First off, the church needed to call back the leadership in other states to Nauvoo. Back came the leaders from Canada and the eastern states. However, Lyman White liked what he was building in Texas. He didn't want to come to Nauvoo or the West. Lyman would apostatize from the church and eventually be excommunicated. Next, work on the temple almost doubled in effort. We covered most of this in episode 32, but the leadership would finish rooms, dedicate them, and immediately begin the temple work there. Thousands of Mormons would have their temple covenants performed over the next few months. And finally, Nauvoo began a full-scale preparation for the exodus. Wagons were built, homes and properties sold, and food and supplies were being packed. The plan for the exodus was to take place in April of 1846. However, in December of 1845, federal government officials approached the temple looking to arrest Brigham Young on charges of instigating and harboring a counterfeiting operation in Nauvoo. Luckily for Brigham Young, the officials would mistake him for William Miller. Miller would be arrested and taken, roughly, to Carthage jail to sit under the watch of the same militia that had killed Joseph Smith. It would be almost a week before the federal officials realized their mistake. Brigham Young would go into hiding. The leadership of the Mormon church and the first groups would organize their supplies, and on February 2nd of 1846, two months earlier than planned, they'd leave Nauvoo, cross the frozen Mississippi, and begin the trek west. The Nauvoo period of the church was finished. Now, due to this early exit from Nauvoo, many of the Mormons that left Nauvoo weren't properly prepared for the road ahead. Now, discussing this object of the glorious emergency, obviously it isn't a specific object like others in this podcast. However, a major shift is beginning to take place within the hearts of the Mormons. These early Mormons will cut the path for others to follow. Over the next 20 years, over 70,000 Mormons will make this trek west to the Rocky Mountains. This will be the largest forced migration in U.S. history, and we'll discuss it in future episodes. This will play a major role in the settling of the United States and give the Mormons the space they need to really set foundations for growth. Now, as this glorious emergency is setting the Mormons in motion in Nauvoo, what about the Mormons in the eastern states? We'll discuss them in the next episode. So, that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of History of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and 50 Objects. Episode 35, The Glorious Emergency. As always, if you have questions or comments, you can reach out to me directly at joehomc at gmail.com. And lastly, and as always, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast and leave me a review on iTunes. It helps spread the word. Thanks again for listening.